0: the doctor's office, you know, with the mom, Genesis and with mom, we would be doing the doctor's office thing. And uh, I had to go into every cabinet and play with all the stuff. So while I'm up here, it's going to be hard to resist not punching buttons, Joel. Just see what happens. Uh, so Genesis chapter 15. That's where we're going to be tonight. Lots of new stuff up here for me to play with. Last time we went swimming, um, one of the things we kind of try to do. The girls and I—we haven't been swimming much this summer. But some of the other times we've been swimming, uh, we play the game of hold your breath. I don't know if you guys do that or not. You know, you see how long you can hold your breath, and uh, uh, try to time it, see who can go the longest in holding their breath. We've done that in the past. Uh, it, it reminds me of that phrase, though—that phrase that we throw out there—that is, uh, "Don't hold your breath." Um, if you, you guys, you've got said that, you've heard that, right? You know, don't hold your breath. Uh, uh, we Dad, when can we uh, when can we go to um, when can we go to Disney World? Uh, don't hold your breath, <laughs> D- Dad. Uh, when When can I get a new puppy? Don't hold your breath, uh, Dad. When can we get a second cat? Don't even think about that, and don't hold your breath. So we, we say that phrase a lot, and uh, I don't hold your breath. and And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture and look at the life of Genesis where. We're gonna learn a little bit about how in the life of Abraham, we see an illustration, we see a story, we see a, a teaching where Abraham is gonna help us learn to not hold our breath when it comes to the gospel. So we have a tendency, I think, to think of the gospel. And let me pause and define what the gospel is uh, as a reminder to all of us and maybe uh, as a refresher for us. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. He died the death that we should have died. He suffered for our sin in our place so that through faith, we can receive by grace His forgiveness and we can be reconciled, redeemed, and brought near to God, brought into fellowship and friendship with God for eternity. And that's the basic idea of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And I think when you hear that, and you you hear it tonight maybe, maybe as soon as I started saying it even, you have a tendency to to turn off a little bit. If you've been in church your whole life, uh, like some of us have been, you've heard that a lot, right? Uh, You've heard the word gospel, you've heard the word good news, you've heard the message, I think we have a tendency as, as Christians to think that the gospel is something that you take a big breath of as a Christian, and then you're done. You're like, the gospel's good, I've got my big breath of the gospel, um, and, and I'm through with that. But what we're going to learn in this passage of Scripture is the gospel is something we're supposed to breathe. We're supposed to breathe in and breathe out. So if a child was born and took one big breath, um, that wouldn't lead to success in that child's life, right? A child, an infant, would need to keep breathing in and out, breathing the air uh, in and out in order to, to grow and thrive and have life. And we need to breathe the gospel in and out over and over to have life. Another illustration might be might be this. So if I said there was a swimming pool, a lot of times we might think the gospel is just a diving board into the swimming pool. Um, and that's where we start with Jesus, but the rest of the Christian life is something else, something different, something beyond that. But the gospel is more than the diving board. Yeah, it may be that, but the gospel is is also the swimming pool that we swim in. Matter of fact, it's an infinite, endless ocean of a swimming pool that we live in and spend time in with God as we learn to relate to him and grow in him and stay close to him. It's all in the gospel, and that's what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 15 today. So as we read together, chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. I'm um, Just so we're, I'm going to control, I've got the slides up here just so you know. We're going, to go, we're going to fight over it. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to go to Genesis 15.1. Um, and uh, we're going to read this together. We're going to learn a little bit about um, Abraham and his, his journey and his experience um, as he encounters Jesus. So remember before we read this, remember what's just happened in the life of Abraham. Because it's very important and it sets up what we're about to read. Abraham had been went to war. Uh, he, his nephew Lot had been captured by the kings of Babylon. Um, Shinar, as it said in the passage and his his nephew Lot had been captured by them so Abraham goes to war against them, defeats them Uh, seems like pretty easily and then after that he has a worship experience with Melchizedek Uh, we worked hard last week to discover who Melchizedek was and we believe or at least I believe uh, that Melchizedek was was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus and so, uh, so his experience, Abraham's experience there in the Valley of Kings, the Valley of Shiva, was a an experience of worship with Jesus, an intimate expression of fellowship and friendship with God Himself. And then we get into this passage, and we we are launched into this passage by a by a prophecy or a promise. Really a gospel presentation by Melchizedek, or the king of righteousness, the king of peace, king of Salem, uh, other ways to refer to him. And he basically says to Abraham in the end of chapter, uh, chapter 14, um, Abraham, you're blessed. And this word blessed is pretty important, right? We talked about that, how blessed represents the state of, of the presence of God. It really represents the created state of man. When you see the word blessed in the Bible, we have a tendency with the word blessed uh, we have a tendency to, I think, make it small, again, probably because we've heard it a lot. Uh, we we even use it in everyday everyday language, right? Um, bless, your, bless your heart. you know, we, we say that when someone uh, says something we think silly, I'll oh, just just bless your heart. Um, uh, we use it so commonly that it becomes a very common term to us. But when you are reading this, in the, in the Old Testament, we'd read it in Genesis very specifically, and you read the word blessed, sirens ought to go off in your head. And sirens ought to go off in your life because it is pointing us to this state of humanity that is pre-fall, pre-sin, the created state of man and, and woman in the garden, a, a time of presence with God and intimacy with God and the provision of God in its fullest, un- unadulterated, unfiltered form. That's what The the Melchizedek is saying to Abraham, he's saying that you are blessed. You have the opportunity, at least, to have that experience. He's preaching the gospel to Abraham, and that's what gets us into chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Uh, literally, it's not talking about his specific son, but talking about a son. So it's the point is this. Abraham's saying, wait a minute, you've been preaching the gospel to me. If, for this to happen, there's got to be an heir. There's got to be a seed. There's got to be a son born to me. And I don't have a son in my house. The only guy I've got in my house is a guy named Eliezer. He's, he's kind of the chief of the household. And he's not, he's not my son. He doesn't belong to me. So what's going on, God? And God says, no, 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 no. don't Forget about Eliezer. Oh, poor Eliezer. He's kind of the, the footnote of history right now. So forget about Eliezer. In, instead of focusing on him, you are going to have a son. And we'll come back to that in just a minute to dig in a little bit more of what that really means and why that's so important to this passage of Scripture. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and the number of the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring, or so shall your seed, is the same Hebrew word for seed that we've seen in several other parts of the study we've done over the last several weeks. So shall your seed be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, if that is a verse of Scripture that when you hear it, uh, you go, wait a minute, that sounds very important. I think I've read that before. It's probably because it's all over the Bible. It's repeated uh, repeated in the New Testament. Paul, as he writes, uh, for most of us, we're aware of this, but just in case you're not, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul builds most of his theology of what it means to become a Christian, off of this verse. This is one of the most important powerful verses in the entire Bible to help us understand that when Jesus came and Jesus said for you to have salvation and forgiveness all you need to do is trust in me. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son and whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That may sound like something new, like a new message, like a change to the message that the children of Israel had heard their whole lives. What Paul says and what this passage teaches us is that's not new news It's good news, but it's not new news, it's old news. It's the same news that Abraham is teaching us in Genesis chapter 15. That faith is what brings righteousness, not our works. And we're going to see that a little bit more deeply. So what was it that Abraham was experiencing when he experienced faith? What was he trusting in? What was he believing? Um, We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I'm sorry, let me skip ahead. Genesis chapter twelve, verse one through two. So here's what the Bible does. Moses was the guy who wrote this. And when a author of a book in the Bible, in this case he's the author of of Genesis and the first five books of the Bible, so we call that the Pentateuch, or we might call it the Torah. Now that's an important thing to remember. I mean, not radically important. I mean, forget it, and your life could still be changed by Jesus. But it's important thing to remember as we study the Bible and try to understand the Bible. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are also called the Pentateuch, which is a uh, a word that means five-part book. A lot of times when we read Genesis, Ex- Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we think, it's a, we think it's multiple books. It's really one book that goes together. It's kind of like, uh, anybody read Lord of the Rings? Anybody read that? So um, we're big Lord of the Rings fans in our house. So in, in Lord of the Rings, we have, if you go to our shelf, oh, I like that. Thank you very much. Um, if you go to our shelf, you, you can pull out The Lord of the Rings, and it's just one big book from beginning to the end, from the time that um, uh, uh, Frodo leaves the, uh, the Shire all the way to the time until they throw the ring into Mount Doom. Did I get it right? Did I say that correctly? My kids are going to yell at me later if I get that one wrong. So so that, you, we got the whole book in one thing, and that's kind of what the Pentateuch is. So it's, it's one book that tells the entire story, but if you, if you study the way The Lord of the Rings was originally written, it was written as multiple books. The Pentateuch is the same thing. It's one book in multiple parts. It's a five-part book. Moses wrote it. That's the whole point of that. And when an author in the Old Testament writes a book, the way he introduces, especially when he's using stories to teach about God and teach who Jesus is, the way that he introduces ideas is through something called illusion. He alludes to things over and over and over. Do you remember what Will taught us several weeks ago about, about a seed who would come? After, after the Adam and Eve, they, they ate the fruit, they, they experienced the curse of sin, and God comes and he says, what did you guys do? And Adam and Eve, they have to confess, and then immediately God makes a promise to them. He said, I'm going to send a seed, and he will, he, what will he do? He will bruise your head, he will bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel, right? And it's, a, it's a, a foretelling of the gospel that the seed would come and he would crush the serpent's head. He would crush the, sin, the curse of sin and defeat and redeem us. Continually in the Old Testament, and especially in this book that Moses wrote us, this five-part book that Moses wrote for us, uh, Moses alludes to that over and over and over and over. He alludes to these ideas that are introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. He alludes to the blessing. We talked about what that means, and he, and he alludes to the seed. So just chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, we've read this before, but just to catch us up. What was it that Abraham was believing? It says this, I will make you a great nation. God's talking to Abraham right here. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and who and him who dishonors you will I curse. So your blessing is comes from being how you relate yourself to Abraham. We're going to find out later that it's actually Abraham's seed. So your, you, your blessing is related to how you um, respond to the seed of Abraham. And then it goes on to say, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as we're reading this, again, those sirens should go off, right? That word blessed pops up again. And Abraham hears this, and in the story, in the narrative of the story as it's written by Moses, um, Abraham hears this, and he goes, Wait a minute. Are you saying that, that through me... We're going to have an experience as humanity, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, every tribe, every tongue is going to be able to experience a return to the created, what we're created for, the presence of God, the providence of God, all that stuff that we see in Genesis 1. Are you saying this through me? So that's what he hears. So what would he think if he he heard that? The first thing that would pop in his mind was, wait a minute, if that's going to happen, there's got to be a seed. There's got to be a seed for this to happen. Well, it's not me. So something else has got to happen here. There, so Abraham starts to question, like, where is, how's this going to happen? What's going to go on? Then we get over to, um, that's the word blessed. We've talked about that. So we'll get, then we get over to Genesis. That's not Genesis chapter 12, verse 1-2. That's Genesis chapter 14, the last couple of verses. And it says this. This is Melchizedek's prophecy again. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So what Melchizedek is saying here is that you can have this blessing, Abraham. You can experience it. You can have the same experience that God himself has by putting them together. He's teaching Abraham, hey, this, is avail- this, this blessing that is God's is also available to you. And immediately following that, we get to the main passage we're focusing on today, and that is uh, Genesis chapter 15. And the thought has to come into Abraham's head, okay, if that's going to happen, if I'm going to experience blessing, And the nations of the earth are going to experience a blessing. Where's the seed? Where's this human being, this son, who's going to be born and going to come and going to redeem the world? And that's why we get to chapter 15, verse 1, where Abraham, we're not going to read it again, but where Abraham begins to ask God about where's this seed? All right, you said you were going to send a seed, this guy, this man who's going to redeem the world. Where is he? He begins to ask that question. So that when God begins to explain to him, hey, Abraham, you can trust me. I'm gonna send this seed. I'm gonna send it. Not, it's not Eliezer. Eleazar is not your seed. He doesn't belong to you. He's not your kid. I'm gonna actually send someone through your lineage to redeem the earth. And it's at that moment, not before, that Abraham is able to have faith. Faith in what? A coming seed to redeem him so that he could be, be proclaimed righteous. Your offspring, and then we get to chapter twenty-two. I'll read this one real quickly, and we'll kind of see it all come together. It says, and I'll read that last little piece: chapter twenty-two, verses seventeen through eighteen. It says, "Your seed shall all in your seed um, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." So we see it all coming together to help us truly understand what it is that Abraham was belie- believing that that he was going to have a seed, a son, a child that would come and redeem humanity, and that's the faith of Abraham that allowed him to experience the blessing of God. Here's how we would say that. Let's summarize it this way. Abraham trusted God to provide a seed who would restore him back to the blessed state of creation. Abraham was trusting in the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. Let's think about this for a second. Remember who Abraham is. Abraham has been already pictured to us in chapter chapter 12 and 13 as a, a disobedient guy. Moses makes very plain that Abraham did not obey the law. He married his sister He's a scoundrel and how he treats his wife. Matter of fact, there's several parts to Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13 that later when you read the law, the, Moses makes a very big point to say, as you read that, you should remember that Abraham disobeyed all of this. So that's chapter 12 and 13. And then we get to chapter 14 and something else kind of comes up, which is the opposite of the story. We see that Abraham was obedient to the law. Every single description of how Abraham went to war Later comes up in the end of chapter Deuteronomy to describe how a law-abiding, godly person would go to war. So we first get to see that Abraham is not law-abiding, and then we get to see that he is. Toward the end of chapter 14, we get to see that Abraham is a very religious person. He has this religious worship experience with Melchizedek. We might even say that he's spiritual. So here we have this guy who is both a picture of him being a law-breaker, a law-obeyer, a guy who's religious and spiritual. But why was he righteous? What made him righteous? Was it the fact he he was so sinful that he disobeyed the law? No, that has nothing to do with it. Was it the fact he obeyed the law? Is that what made him righteous? No, it has nothing to do with it. Was it because he was religious or because he was spiritual? No, Abraham wasn't righteous because of any of those things. None of those things disqualified him from righteousness. None of those things imputed righteousness to him. Abraham was made righteous because of his faith, period. That's why Abraham could be said to be righteous. It's an interesting thing, too. When you think about um, how it describes Abraham's state, um, it, think about Abraham's journey. So he started in Genesis chapter 12, actually the end of chapter 11, and we see that Abraham is with, um, he's with his father. And the, most commentators will say that at this point, Abraham was probably somewhat of a pagan. Uh, he's, he's leaving Ur, God's calling him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's probably somewhat of a pagan. He, he's worshiping uh, lots of different gods and lots of different things, at least his dad is at the very, very least. And then we get into chapter 12, and God begins to reveal himself to us. And maybe Abraham is still not necessarily understanding completely who this God is. At least we haven't gotten to chapter 15 yet, where Abraham is declared righteous. Abraham's still trying to figure this stuff out, but God is talking to him, God is speaking, God is drawing him. And then we get into uh, chapter 14, where Abraham begins to understand what it means to obey the law, to be a religious God, to be spiritual. But it's not until chapter 15, this verse, that we see that Abraham in that journey towards Christ has faith in God and is declared him righteous. I think it's the very similar journey a lot of us experience. It's this very similar journey that a lot of our friends will experience. I think we, I I have a tendency to get frustrated because I want to be able to tell someone the gospel and for them to become a believer immediately. But it doesn't happen that way, right? It's a journey journey. The work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in the life of Abraham and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the lives of our neighbors and the lives of the nations. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring people closer and closer and closer to God. And we see that in the life of Abraham. It was a journey that brought him to faith. matter of fact, something else is interesting to me about the life of Abraham. We see... Before chapter 15, that Abraham has this experience where he, he lies about, uh, about his wife so that he, uh, so he doesn't get killed. Remember, I, I believe his will told that a few weeks ago, right? We see that exact same thing happen again in Abraham's life several weeks later, or, several, or a few chapters later. That even reminds us that just because we become a believer, at that moment we, become, we have faith in Christ, doesn't mean we're done. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Matter of fact, we see Abraham returning back to some of the same habits and problems that he had before. The spiritual life is a journey, and it begins, and, it, and it's saturated by this belief in the gospel. So let's take a few seconds to dig into what does it mean to believe. So in the active sense, the word believe is the word aman. Uh, the word means to support. It can be even translated as the word pillar. That's what it means in the active sense. In the passive sense, it is used to describe a successful testing or verification of support structure. I don't know, but when I get when I think of it in the passive sense... I think of someone like jumping up and down on a platform. Well, let's just make sure this thing's solid. That's what it means in the passive sense. But Hebrew has a different, uh, a different form beyond active and passive. We won't get into technicalities here, but it has a, a form that's beyond that. The form that is used here is a step beyond and it moves beyond the testing phase to the full weight stage. So we go from this is a pillar that's supporting. That's what the word amon means in its active state, active state, support, to Passive state—it's something that we're testing and trying to figure out if it's able to support us. To this form, which is you put your full weight onto the object, you're past the testing stage. You're beyond jumping up and down, jumping up and down on the bridge. You're putting your full weight. You're driving the car across it. You're depending on this structure to hold you up, and that's the picture of faith that we have. In Abraham. he was trusting, he was relying, he was giving everything he had. he was, he was, he was dumping all of his hope into God to bring this redeemer as his salvation, as his redemption, as his forgiveness. I'm not going to be good enough for it is what Abraham, here's what Abraham's saying. I'm not going to be good enough for it. I'm not going to obey the law enough for it. I'm not too bad for it. I'm not going to be religious too, uh, religious enough or spiritual enough. None of that's going to work. I only have one hope and that is that Jesus will come. God will send a redeemer. Uh, Christ is our salvation. Uh, from, from the Old Testament view. There's another illustration, though, that is used in this word, or another way this word is used. Not only is it support, but it's also used as, as a, the idea of nourishment. Um, again, active as a nourishment, but even as a passive, it's, it's an infant that's being nourished by, by a wet nurse. And then in the form that it's used here, it would be that trust that you would have to give your infant child over to a wet nurse to provide life, to provide sustenance, nourishment to a child. That's what faith is. I like that picture very well because it, it, it reminds us that the faith that Abraham had and the faith that we're called to have is not just a moment of faith. Yeah, I believe the Bible is very clear and teaches that in that moment of faith, you become a child of God, you are redeemed, you are righteous, done. But God calls us to much, something much deeper than that, something more than that. He calls us to live in nourishment the same way that an infant would be nourished at the breast of its mother we are to be nourished in the gospel, continually trusting, living on, living life by the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is our only hope for righteousness. That's what the word believe means. Faith is the trump card. So we see all of this in Abraham's life. We see all of, this, all of these things. He's really bad, he's really good, he's spiritual, he's religious. But faith is the trump card. Anybody ever play Tech Mobile? I know I'm I'm you know we're different different groups. Anybody play the game Tech Mobile? Anybody. Thank you, Joel. I I have a witness. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, Will, you had to play Tech Mobile. Tech Mobile never. Oh man. Oh man, that's I'm I'm brokenhearted now. So there was a game called Tech Mobile. And what it was it was a football video game on the old classic Nintendo, the one you had to blow in. You, no, anybody? Okay. I'm getting a few head nods. So it was called Tech Mobile. If in the game of Tech Mobile you had Bo Jackson, he played for the Raiders at this point. Um, this was pre-hip injury, Bo Jackson. If you had Bo Jackson on, on Tech Mobile, you could beat anybody. So it didn't matter what teams you were. If you were like the Cowboys and the, and the Bears, you would, you know, you might play by 21 to 24 one game and then 24 to 21 the next game. But if you had Bo Jackson, you would always win like 70 to nothing. No one could stop Bo Jackson. All you had to have to win this game was Bo Jackson. It was he was the trunk card of the game, if you will. He was that one thing that if you had it, everything else was taken care of. That's what this passage is teaching, that faith is the trump card. It's the one thing. If you are able to trust in Jesus Christ as your righteousness, everything else with God is taken care of. And here's here's what that means a little bit more deeply. That we need to, because of that, don't just take a breath of the gospel. Breathe it in. Live it in. There's another word in in this sentence that we need to understand. And it's that he believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The word literally means reckon or to think as if. Um, it's an accounting term. We've got a lot of financial guys in the room. So it's an accounting term to, to put a certain amount of money onto someone's account so that it represents now their, their worth or value that's, that's ascribed to them. It's also a word that is used to imagine. So if you were to describe a, a, this Hebrew word, if you were to describe someone who imagined or invented something that had never been invented before, something that, that had not existed outside of, outside of their mind, you would use this word. I love that because it describes to me how God looks at us. When He looks at you, he doesn't see you as righteous or uh, I'm sorry, he doesn't see you as the righteousness that you produce. He doesn't see the good that you produce. He doesn't see the bad that you produce. He doesn't see your obedience or your disobedience. When God looks at you, He sees you as righteous. Perfect. Done. This passage of Scripture teaches us that when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. I love the passage of Scripture. We've quoted it a few times, but I love it, so I'll do it often. Where God looks down at Jesus, He says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Because of Christ, because of the work on the cross that he's done for you, when he looks at you, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's how God looks at you. He looks at you and sees you as perfectly righteous. Remember Abraham's story, right? doesn't matter when the wrong you did, the good you did, the real, how religious you are, how spiritual you are. When God sees you, if you trust him, he sees you as righteous, period. One of my favorite things about this text is if you, if you look at how it lines up and kind of walk through it, we won't look at that in detail tonight, but if you look at it, the way it's described of Abraham experiencing God, it's exactly a form that's used later in, in Sinai when the law is given. The same forms are given. This is one of those things that we talked about a minute ago, how there's the, Moses would allude from one thing to another. It's the same thing we studied in Genesis when there were, there were two trees, two paths to walk with God. One was the I do tree and one, the, one was the grace tree. One was the I'm trusting in myself tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one was I'm going to trust in God's tra- trust in God and trust in God's grace tree. What, the, what Moses is teaching us here is that we have two paths again. It's the same two paths. We have one path that is represented in the law. It's the path of Sinai, the path of obeying the law. And the Bible says that nobody's ever made righteous by doing the law. And then we have another path that's pictured here by Abraham. And it's the path that is by faith. And through faith, Abraham was declared righteous. Through faith, we can be declared righteous. So, continually, here's the big idea of the text continually trust in Christ alone as your sole source of redemption and righteousness. And that is not just how you get saved, that's how you live in Jesus. That's how you wake up in Jesus. Just reflect with me just for a second what that means and what that means to you. You ever have times in your prayer life where you maybe. I have times where maybe I'm, I've done that sin that I hate, and I've done it again, I've done it again, I've done it again. And because of that, I don't want to pray. Maybe I even think, what good is it going to do to pray? Because I'm so sinful. I'm so wicked. I shouldn't even pray. That's law thinking. Grace thinking, faith thinking says, I'm righteous. And I'm just as righteous today as I was yesterday. You see, you can, you can work with God. You can, your relationship with God can build, be built on two different kinds of economies. One economy is based on your actions. What you do and what you don't do. And one economy is based on the on the work and grace and gift of great of righteousness that Christ gives. You have those two choices. That's it. Those are your only two choices. And when I walk with God, when you walk with God, we are invited to live into that, that relationship with God that's based on his grace 100% of the time, all the time, completely, where we live and trust in what he's given us. So where does this faith come from? So this is pretty great faith. This is pretty radical faith. Where does it come from? It comes from honest conversations with God. Honest conversations with God create space for genuine faith. Do you remember in this text that just how honest Abraham was with God? He's like, "I don't know if you're going to do this, God. You said you were going to do this, but I don't know. I just don't know if you I don't know if you're going to do what you said you're going to do." There's a lot of doubt, a lot of questioning, a lot of confusion in Genesis in Genesis 15:1 through 1 through 6. A lot of doubting. Even if you keep reading, there's even more. It is honest conversations with God that create space for genuine faith. So don't be afraid to ask God the hard questions. That's what Abraham did. You might look at this passage of Scripture and think, focus just on the fact that Abraham had faith. But Abraham's faith was in the context of a lot of doubt, a lot of confusion, and asking God a lot of hard questions. God, are you going to do this? Are you ever going to do this? Are you ever going to come through? Are you ever going to answer this prayer? That was the context that led to great faith. And the reason why that is is because great faith isn't a focus on me and how good my faith is great faith is a focus on the faithfulness of god and when i'm focused on the faithfulness of god and his grace and his forgiveness and his power and his sovereignty and his providence i am free at that moment to ask god any question i want to because it's not about my faith anymore it's about his faithfulness i'm free to be honest i'm free to have great dialogue i'm free to tell god i don't know if this is going to work i'm free at that moment to ask god the hard questions Look at how he says it. Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He asked God the, the hard questions. And we learn as we keep reading, doubts are not death to faith. He says this, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That is not a statement of great faith. Here in one of the most famous passages of the entire Bible about faith, Abraham shows doubts. It's in the context of sharing and talking out those doubts with God that true faith was able to be born. Doubt goes by a lot of different names, right? Doubt may go by the name of doubt. That's a good one. Doubt may go by the name of hopelessness, worry, fear, anger. Doubt goes by by a lot of different names. What does doubt go by in your life? Think about that for a second. And then remember, or be taught in this passage, that great faith and great doubt can exist together. I think that's the most surprising thing in this story. If you were to take out that one little phrase, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and read this story, you would think Abraham was the, had the greatest doubt of any human to ever live. You'd probably say he's not a Christian, and he never was one, and we should just give up on all Abraham. But this passage helps us remember that doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive. Doubt can even make your faith stronger. I love this quote from a guy named Tim Keller. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with their doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. Sometimes it's doubt that gives us the antibodies to have the strongest faith that gets us through. Doubt is the language of intimacy with God. As Abraham was having this conversation with God, if he would have sit there and said, you know what, this is what I do sometimes, I don't know if you're guilty of this, If he would have said, you know what, I'm talking to God here, I probably ought to put on a good show. I ought to tell God about how much I gave to the church this week, and I ought to tell God about how good I am and how righteous I am. and Man, I sure am glad that I'm not as sinful as that guy down the road, that neighbor who, you know, he keeps doing that one thing. That may have been how Abraham would have been tempted to talk to God. But instead he's like, God, I don't know if you're going to do this. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're faithful. I'm wondering if you're going to come through it all. Matter of fact, I'm doubting you right now completely. It is that kind of language, it is that kind of honesty that is the language of intimacy with God. Doubts often follow victory. What did Abram, just, Abram, in this case, just come out of? One of the greatest spiritual victories of his life. If you're experiencing a revival, a spiritual awakening, a great time with God, get ready because doubts often follow that. We see that pattern throughout the entire Bible. We see it in the life of Elijah. We see it in the life of David. We see it repeatedly in the Scriptures that doubt often follows victory. The next thing we see. In doubt, trust what you know. So Abraham in this passage of Scripture came back to the one thing. And that's that I believe that that God's going to send a seed who's going to redeem the world. When you're walking in times of doubt, go back to the things you know God's shown you. The things you know that God has told you. Let those be your anchor. And then specifically, in doubt, trust the gospel. Believe the gospel. Trust what Christ has done. As a matter of fact, if if you're here today or maybe you're listening on our podcast however we're communicating with you maybe you have a lot of doubts about Christianity maybe you have a hard time with Christianity because uh, because you don't know if you can let go of your belief in evolution maybe you have a hard time with Christianity because of our stance on what marriage means uh, maybe you have a hard time with Christianity because you feel like it's going to be one of those things that you're going to have to give a lot of money to, to a bunch of people and you don't know if you can trust them or not. Maybe you even have a hard time with Christianity because of some struggle you've had in the church Um Maybe somebody treated you poorly. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you have good reasons. Maybe you have a lot of reasons to doubt. Can you just simply trust the gospel? We can work everything else out. We can figure that else out. We can help you, help you grow in your understanding and belief of what the Bible is and what it means, what creation is. We can help you tie up some knots when it comes to theology. But are you willing, like Abraham, in the midst of lots of doubt, to just trust that Jesus Christ redeemed you and made you righteous. As believers, we should start there too. Trust the gospel, live in the gospel, live in that faith. Interestingly enough, God is ir- irresistibly attracted to perfection. So in this context of doubt, Abraham had faith and he was declared righteous. And we won't go through it tons. I'm just going to just kind of blaze right through some thoughts here. But what we see at the end of this text is a story of God's devotion to Abraham. Because of Abraham's trust in the gospel, because he was able to say at every moment, I trust in the righteousness that God gives and God gives alone, God made him righteous. God made him perfect. He declared him that way. And God is irresistibly attracted to perfection. What we're going to see next, we're not going to read it together, but what we see in chapter 15, verses 7 through 21, we see a story of God um, making a covenant with Abram. And it's a covenant that declares God's God's devotion to Abram. It's not a covenant that says, Abram, I need you to do these, these, these ten things, and I'll do these five things. It is God's declaration of devotion to Abram. I'm just going to real quickly run through what they are and how that looks. The devotion that God has to those who are righteous, God's peace is with you. The picture of a covenant was of a king who was making peace with enemies that he had vanquished. That is the peace that God gives us, reconciliation. God's presence is with you. We see the fire flaming torch and the smoking uh, smoking pot walking through the the sacrifice that Abraham made. God's provision is with you. These kings, once they made this this treaty with their enemies after they had been defeated, were guaranteeing them their provision and and even their protections. God's protection is with you. God's power is with you. The military might of a king was was made available to those that had, had been a part of a covenant. God perseveres with you goes on to describe the exodus and how Abram Abraham and his people were going to experience exodus. Even when it seems like there's no hope, God will rescue you from the most difficult circumstances. And then at the end of the chapter we see part of the covenant that God makes with Abraham is regarding the land. And the author, Moses, makes, makes a very clear point to describe to us that the land of the promised land is the Garden of Eden. So you wonder where the Garden of Eden is? The Garden of Eden is in Jerusalem. That's where the Garden of Eden is. Now spiritually it's changed and we, you know, we, maybe it's hard to get our minds wrapped around it. But well, we know exactly where the Garden of Eden is because the Bible tells us. And it tells us here that it's the promised land and it gives the same description of where, where the Garden of Eden is, uh, where the promised land is and where the Garden of Eden is. And it's a way to tell us and remind us the same thing we talked about at the very beginning. And that is that God has for us the blessing of creation. And it's through Jesus. It's through His work. It's through the gift of grace that He gives us. And the challenge for us today as a people is to stop just thinking the gospel is a starting point. It's not the diving board, it's the swimming pool. Don't just take a big breath of the gospel and then move on. Live in it. Live off of it. Let it give you hope. No matter how much doubt you have, no matter how much hopelessness you feel, let it give you hope that the God of heaven has declared you righteous. He's declared you perfect. And now as He was in the beginning and as He is with Jesus, all the power and all the force of His love is forcefully, irresistibly, 100% focused and unfiltered towards you. God has only good towards you. God has only love towards you. Only grace towards you. Only goodness for you. God is with you and God is for you. And that's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Breathe that in. And live breathing it in and out every day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Abram, who later became Abraham. And that he teaches us to believe in the gospel. Not just to get us started on our walk with you, but as our source of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
1: rise. Let's close out by celebrating that we have Jesus, that God sees us as righteous.
2: Finger mm-hmm. this week, so appreciate it, man. Um, great message, man. Appreciate it. it's true. We we have nothing to base our hope in Christ on except for his faith in what he does for us, right? It's his, he sees us righteous. righteousness not because of us, but because of him. Awesome. Um, a couple of announcements for you. Uh, we are going to be meeting this time, 6 to 7:30, for the rest of the year, except for two times, mm-hmm. and which we'll be meeting at McGindrice. Uh, and if we want to be 6, 7, 30 get here because work for them, we can do it at the same time, but we just look in different locations. Um, family groups are going great. We hope that everybody's being involved in the group um, and benefiting from them. They're really awesome. We're, I'm enjoying our family group immensely when we get to go. And uh, they meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you're not one, you can get in one at bomb.com. All right. Uh, my wife has an announcement about a women's event that's coming up. So, uh,
3: Y'all want to sit down. Husbands, listen
2: for your wives if they're not here and they Um
3: y'all did you all get the invitation in the mail? Yes. Did it come pretty clear what it was? Yes. Do you have any questions before I Okay. Are we supposed to RSVP? Yeah, yes, so it says it on there to so RSVP to the restoration email? Um this was on my heart last year for just my friends and now we're here so I thought maybe we I'm talking to you too so <laughs> I thought it would be kind of neat to do. Its its purpose is for us, but it's also intended to be for somebody who maybe isn't a believer or isn't used to going to church. It's not going to be real. It's not going to be a lot of talk theological, or you know, it's not going to be a sermon or something. It's really just a real personal time to reflect. And sorry, men, that you're listening to this, you have mm-hmm. no idea what I'm talking about. But I really would like us to take some ownership in the event. And I know everyone isn't gifted in all areas and volunteering. So I have this little sheet that basically is for you to look over and say, you know, I'm interested in praying that this goes well. Or I can bring a dessert. Or I don't want to do anything but come. That's fine. I just kind of want to get an idea of um, maybe where you're at and what you think you might be able to to do. And I have other invitations if you have anybody that you want to invite. It's pretty much going to be a time to reflect on this past year. And kind of like Lance was saying today, sometimes we don't remember what God has done and we forget. And, you know, looking back, we can kind of see what he's done and just be encouraged. So I'm going to pass these out to you. And if you need some invitations, come see me. One of the um, ways to volunteer is to just wrap a few gifts that we're going to have as parting, like, giveaways. And so it might just be – and I have them with me. So if you want to take them – Okay, so I'm done, so you can do what you want to
2: do. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Invite as many women as you can, you know, not just for restoration, but ladies in general. I think y'all are going to have a great time. We're going to get snack food for you and you to know, have a good time. Uh, we got restoration window stickers in. If you want one for your car and you you want to get one, they're yours. Just come at you for it. They're not in the bags because they're precious. We only have 50 of them. If you want one, you get one, but now we're going to throw them away. We also have our first time uh, guests, our hospitality packs that h- came in and put together. We're missing our pamphlet. We've got to work on that. Um, but in there is our mission statement, our core values and contact information, a uh, tumbler mug and a pen that has a stylet end on it. Um, we're thankful that we got these in. We want to give these away to new people. So uh, when you, if you have a friend that comes in or you bring a family member, take them to the first time guest table take them wherever you see these bags and make sure they get one and take it home as a, as a hospitality gift for us. You come over sometime, in the South is traditional, to give a gift to your house guests. And you know, well, this is our house guest gift. Um, but with this, I would love somebody who's given this hospitality to take over, managing this, setting it up each week, putting the bags together. I've got all the gear. I can give it to you. If you're gift this hospitality and you want to help welcome guests into our church, into our meetings, then I would love to hear from you. So, Maybe it's not your gift, but it's your wife's, or it's your husband, and they're not here. So we'll figure that out. Um, so we're going to be talking about this tomorrow night at our elders meeting, uh, but we, we're going to have several teams that need to happen. And these teams are going to have to have leaders, people who are willing to lead these teams. Um, these are kind of op- options. Hospitality. So this is welcoming guests in, helping with food and events, stuff like that. That's hospitality. Uh, audiovisual, if you want to help Diane set up all this stuff or run things or type in stuff, run sound boards, whatever. Uh, set up and tear down teams, childcare, youth, college, parking, first impressions, greeting people as they come in, music, prayer, handling social media stuff. There's like lots of different teams that once we get ready to move and start welcoming our community into us, we need to have this stuff in order, right? These are kind of like benchmarks. We've got to get team leaders and get teams put together. So as we're building our core team, think where you're gifted and where you can plug in and serve in one of these teams, right? Just think about that. There might be more teams to come. I don't know. We'll talk about it more. But if something makes your heart jump, let me know, okay? Uh, Well, I think that's all I got. Next week we'll be here. uh, Family groups again this week. Please enjoy them. They're Um, Those You can skip that. They don't skip that. We don't have demographic sheets. I was thinking about that. We would like to create a – Huh? stickers? I already talked about that. Um, we would like to create like a, a book that has everybody's contact information addresses and stuff like that and kind of like that you can get it. I don't know whether we're gonna do that online with like a special login and you got all that stuff. I don't really want to put people's information online publicly. But we're gonna figure out a way to do that. So in the coming weeks there might be a we just ask for your address, phone number and email address so we can put together a, a family album basically. So that's what that about. Sermons are all online available. Um, we're working on making this visual. We tried recording for the first time we the battery died. We just learned learn what the problem is. All right, so we'll get over that. But everything's on podcast, so you'll be able to go in and check that out, and we're going to get ready to make that where you can download it on your phones, and we'll get there eventually too. So if you miss a sermon, you want to refresh one, you want to have one of your friends listen to it because something spoke to your heart, and they're available online. Cool. Does anybody else have any you know?
1: Any no. Yes, sir. You're saying tonight's message wasn't recorded. The no, the music was. Audio.
2: Audio. Audio, audio,
1: audio, but not visual, right? Yeah, we have audio. We do not have visual. So we have half of visual.
2: <laughs> well, right when it got good. <laughs> not that it wasn't good. The was <laughs> saying, uh, right when the application started. What happened when the what happened? Like right when the application is like, I was <clears throat> like, oh, damn. So we'll get there. So. Alright, uh, we love you. Let me pray for you. Let's go out and change the world one person at a time, right? And we keep seeing the same faces. We need to start inviting our friends, you know? Invite somebody to come and join us. You know, and might not. I love seeing the faces, but let's uh, let's start building this core team. Loving on people, loving on families. We're, obviously, we're missing a lot of people here tonight, so pray for them. Father, we love you. We worship you. You are our God. You are great, and we thank you that through the seed, through Jesus, you have given us His righteousness because of faith. That's all you ask. All you ask is faith in His word, and you give us His righteousness. And then we walk with a totally different attitude. We live with a totally different confidence. We move with a totally different joy that no longer are we under judgment and are we slaves to sin and death. No, Father, you have called us sons and daughters of the Most High God, and you have given us sonship. Daughtership, that's even the word. You have given us place in your home. Place in your heart. Because of the work of your son. And we thank you that Abram showed us this. That you're the same God that worked with Abram as you work today. You take broken people for your glory. You do things in their lives to make your name great. And then for their benefit. We thank you for that. We love you. We worship you. There's a city out there needing the gospel. Needing our love. Send us, Father. Send us specifically. I pray for specific appointments where we can be gracious people, people with the gospel, and we can be people of love. In the name of Jesus. getting ready to get up and go do that.
1: When she wakes up at night crying, and we go in there and try and calm her down, and she said, hey, you know, this was a few weeks ago, I was doing this, and she said, take the cow away. I didn't think much of it. I of it. It was like, okay, I'm yeah. taking the cow away. Yeah. We yeah. It. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened with Janelle a few minutes later. And when she mentioned it, I said, and now it's been fairly regularly when she wakes up at night crying. Yeah, about this cow, and she told us it was. In and looking oh, uh, at her yeah.
2: and then eating puppies. Yeah, this little puppy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think one of these. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to turn off the projector But, yeah. but so sad. Yeah. Like
1: little lines when they know where the cake is. Yeah, I tried. I tried just locking the cow outside. There it there, I see the help. Yeah, um, uh, it's too bad NC
2: State and Duke didn't knock off these Florida teams.
1: Yeah. Oh, you off? Yeah, yeah, Miami. Miami. James, like, I well. stand yeah. that right? You should be thrown yeah. off
2: yeah. yeah. the yeah. yeah. James yeah. Winston? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know much
1: he, about, are about He was one. the Heisman Trophy yeah. winner last year. Oh, And you know, they yeah, had a great yeah. investigation that
2: it's still ongoing oh. out of the school. Oh. Oh, you know, me? he walked out of a yeah. public yeah. supermarket with $35 yeah. worth of crab oh, legs yeah. that he didn't pay for. And he got suspended for free games during the baseball season. He
1: like, and then he stood up in the uh, um, a week ago. He stood up
0: in a uh, student uh, union the cafeteria and uh, started yelling uh, out. Uh, I would say like uh, could twist up, So that was perverse a sweet, uh, uh, um,
2: yeah. obscene comments about yeah. certain women's anatomy. And have that, that, you know. so he, that's why he got suspended uh, for uh, last week's game. He's with the Hurricanes so.
1: no, 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 he's no. with Florida State, the okay. national champions. Okay. I mean, you go back to the And, the and they, they always spend a lot of time
2: in the NC State. They were playing here, but they just pulled away. It was 24-7. Oh, I know. 7 in,
1: in NC State. It was ahead? Yeah, 24-7. And then they came
2: back and tied him, and then and then they, and they scored a last-minute touchdown. So if the score went worse than, than it was, it was 56-41. So they were a lot of points
1: scored. Oh you know. wow! I didn't they,
2: keep yeah, and, and Duke didn't yeah. have as good uh, no. you know. a yeah, fire. So Miami's way for plus they had a uh, sure. down there, right there. Uh, but they they, uh, uh, yeah. they tried, obliterated them last year when Miami came up here. I don't like I don't
0: like uh, any of the uniforms, uh, you know. Um, you know okay. no. uh, right.
1: No. <laughs> I haven't ever been
2: a fan <laughs> of Florida. Yeah, my my brother-in-law is. Is a Pittsburgh guy, you know, and, and they've been in Naples since '92. Oh, uh, he, he oh, said, I hate the Florida top teams. Top <laughs> teams. <laughs> they, uh,
1: yes. Your brother-in-law is in Naples. Yeah, that's wow. since 1992. That's a yeah. nice place. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. We went. We were invited by some friends, and we went down. You're <sighs> <real> like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, uh, quite, quite the uh, place. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: a uh, lot of. I think it rates somewhere about a number of millionaires per capita. They they lived for a while, they lived down the street from a Hispanic guy that was a pro yeah.
1: golfer, have, uh, and uh, Sevi uh, Ballesterra. Uh, Carlos, <clears throat> or, oh,
2: okay. or uh, something along uh, wow. that line. And Mike Ditka. Uh, oh, uh, wow.
1: <laughs> so, Well, we didn't see any, uh, we got out on the beach and hung
2: out
0: on the Gulf side.
2: Oh, yeah, it's uh, white sand and and, uh, crystal clear water. Um, Well, I don't know. I I I I couldn't afford afford to hang around there. lot.
1: something yeah. like, and just all and you know, and Yeah, and all right. Stuff. We
2: were in so, one of those yeah. high-rise. They had a new one on top. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was
1: nice. Yeah. Uh, UNC's doing uh, bad. Uh, They've they gotten beat three, three times in the world. Uh, they they oh, okay. Uh, uh, the East, East Carolina out knocked, of, off, the uh, knocked out off the team
2: attack. East Carolina's uh, so got a good team. They, uh, yeah. 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 I think they're undefeated. Uh, uh, yeah. They're, yeah, they're undefeated so far. But, but uh, I sort of I lost they, they have a little bit of interest in the world for I some
1: I just, uh,
2: so in sports in general, my, after my <laughs> dad died, we used to talk on the phone and, and, and yeah. watch the games together
1: on the phone and we yeah. yeah. was Ohio State, it was up in Ohio. Oh, okay. So we, were, we,
2: so we, yeah. then we went all the, all the um, for three years, yeah. uh, sophomore to the high school, and we went to Purdue on football. Oh, okay. So it was greasy play. Yeah. Balled, breezy, yeah. Played, yeah. And, <laughs> so, <okay.
1: That's>, uh, <laughs> so that's, that's uh, yeah so exactly it, take out the, 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 yeah
2: that's
1: yeah right right uh, yeah. I'm- <laughs>
2: Well, I like college football much better than pro, actually. Yeah.
1: Pros, it's just entertainment. It's, it's gotten two different grunts and kind of two Yeah. 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 Was that still on? Is that still on?
0: Is that too heavy for you? That goes to Todd's car. He's out
1: there. Uh, outside, down the steps, right there
0: Ah, here's the picture.
2: <laughs> Yo, yeah, oh, I just set that up there. Uh, oh, you found it? Yeah, I found it in the closet. Let
1: me see, Let me see if I can it.
0: Is it the right?